0: Let's talk about this subject tonight. How do we determine right from wrong? It's probably one of the most frequent questions that I get. When somebody will call up or or somebody will ask me something, they'll say, Hey, is it wrong to... and you can fill in the blank. Um, And part of that is because, you know, the the Bible deals with things, many things, in terms of principle. and, And you don't have a thou shalt not do this or thou shalt do this. Uh, There are those things, but most of them um, are determined by principle and by knowing the nature of Jesus and what he would have us to do and to be. Um, Knowing the difference between right and wrong is not something that we have inbred within us. We're not born and we know this is what the Lord wants me to do. Often it's your upbringing. You know, what, what is your culture? What did your mom and dad tell you? And, and those are the things that we're convinced are, are right and wrong. So, uh, it, knowing the difference between truth and error, right and wrong, comes with some discernment, with some training, and, um, principles. Where does the Bible say that I can't burn your house down? You know, it doesn't say that, does it? There's no verse in the Bible that says, Steve, don't burn someone's house down. Where does the Bible say we can't smoke pot? You know, where's the verse that says that? Well, there is none. Okay, great. You know, we can run off and and do it. You see, there, there are a host of verses, a host of topics that the Bible absolutely does not address explicitly. And in fact, where's the verse that says anything explicitly to you? We're reading things that were written to other people, and, and implicitly we're saying they imply to us uh, or, or apply to us. So what I want us to do is just to look at four principles tonight that I think will help us to determine when something's right and something's wrong. Hey, listen, heaven and hell hang in a balance. This is no small thing. If we want to go to heaven, if we want to serve the Lord, we need to do the right things. We need to make the right choices. And so I need to know, is this right? Is this wrong? And if I'm not sure, and if the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not, then how do I figure that out? Well, four things that will help us, and and then the lesson will be yours. The first thing is what we'll call the proclamation test. If the Bible says it, Accept it. Okay? It's it's that simple. If the Bible says you can do it, you can do it. If the Bible says you can't do it, then you can't do it. And and so, you know, that settles a whole lot of things. Um, Can I commit adultery? Can I steal? Can I cheat? Can I lie? You know, the Bible gives explicit answers to those questions. Now, I understand that within the realm of, you know, explicit commands, there are some other factors we still have to take into consideration. The context, like the Bible explicitly says, build an ark. But now we know from the context of that passage, he was talking to Noah and not me. And so context is important. And I know that some commands were not given for all times. They were given for specific times. They weren't to last forever forever. Uh, but those things given, if the Bible says you can do it, you can do it. And if the Bible says don't do that, then don't do that. And if we find ourselves arguing with the Bible on those kind of things, we're, we're really standing in the wrong place. In John chapter 10 and verse 35, Jesus said, you know what? Scripture cannot be broken. If the Bible says something, it says it, it means it. And and as much as we may not like it, and like the time in which we live, as much as it may be politically incorrect, it doesn't change. Scripture cannot be broken. In Matthew chapter twenty-four and verse thirty-five, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So take the Bible for what it says. If the Bible says, repent and be baptized, I know that's the right thing to do because it says to do it. I shouldn't be arguing and trying to find ways to get around it. I should just do it because that's the right thing. The Bible says so. So that's the first point, the proclamation test. If the Bible says do it, do it. If the Bible says don't do it, then don't do it. That's pretty simple. Alright, well let's talk about another test. And that would be the principle test. Let's run it through biblical filters. What is it that you want to do? And, oh well the Bible doesn't explicitly talk about that. But are there principles that address something very similar? Like, well, I just threw that off the top of my head, but, you know, smoking pot. Okay, wh- where does the Bible say you can't smoke pot? Well, it, it doesn't. There's no verse in the Bible that says don't smoke marijuana. Are there any principles that would come to bear on that topic? Well, what about all the biblical passages that deal with alcohol? Alcohol? see, why is alcohol condemned in all these passages used as a beverage, a, a, as, you know, a, a social kind of a thing or wh- however you want to call it? Well, w- what's the problem? Well, it blurs your thinking. Listen, I, I don't know about you, but I need, I need all my wits. You know, I don't have enough as it is, and I need all that I've got to resist the devil and temptation. And how can I knowingly allow my judgment to be blurred, my inhibitions to be lowered. You're just setting yourself up. And look at what happens when people become drunken. They act and conduct in ways that are unholy and ungodly because they've, they've lowered their inhibitions, they've lowered their ability to reason. And that's why God says, don't do that stuff. You know, don't even look at it when it swirls in the cup, when it's intoxicating. Stay away from this stuff. Know it by its fruits. Okay, well, would that principle not apply? I know the Bible doesn't talk about marijuana per se, but does it talk about mind-altering things that lower your inhibition? Yeah, it does talk about that. And it says don't do it. So, you know, I would I would take that principle. Um, I know that the Old Testament had, you know, 613 laws. But even in the Old Testament, I don't want to make a hard contrast. Well, the Old Testament had all these things regulated. New Testament's principle. They, they, had, old, they had principle in the Old Testament as well that they had to apply. Um, but imagine if God had to explicitly approve and explicitly condemn every action you wouldn't be carrying this to church with you. Uh, it would be, I mean, can you imagine if God had to tell us every there's no way that we can compile a law, a list of do's and don'ts that would be um, sufficient. It just would keep going and going and going. But what God did was he said, let me give you some principles. And two of the most broad and most uh, encompassing principles are these. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, if we will do just those two commands, how broad is that? What if we just applied those two commands? What does that miss? There's no explicit don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this. There's not a single one, but it's all covered in those two commands. Love God and love your neighbor. Principle. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 5, and and if you'll look, beginning in verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfishness, or selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, drunken drunken revelries, and the such like. See, he gave us a long list of things, but does that exhaust immorality? Look at that list that he gave us there, that he explicitly said, drunkenness, and idolatry, and adultery, and fornication. He goes through this list of things, but then, like, I can't tell you everything that's wrong. And so he says, and such like. Things that are like these things, they're also condemned. That's the point of principle. The New Testament, de- and see, I asked the question when we began where's the Bible say, I can't burn your house down? Where's the Bible say, thou shalt not be an arsonist? Well, it doesn't. But does the Bible say to love your neighbor? Yes. And if I'm going to love my neighbor, I can't burn your house down. That would go against loving you. And so that's addressed in principle. And so if the Bible says do this, don't do that, that's one way I can know whether I'm allowed to do it or not. The other way is by principle. Is there any biblical principle that prohibits or approves of this or that being done? And then here's the third thing. Uh, The presence test. Would you be okay if Jesus was in your presence and you did this? You know, really, this one kind of hits home, doesn't it? Have we not all been there? I think there's a really interesting story in the Old Testament when David uh, had disobeyed God in, in transporting the ark back to uh, Jerusalem, and, and God struck Uzzah dead because the oxen fell when he reached up to steady it. And when he did, bam, he's dead. And, and that just kind of put off David. I mean, like he's gone... Lord, I mean, come on, cut us a break. We're just bringing this back. We just put it on a cart to hurry up. And and all he was doing is just trying to steady it. I'll tell you what. And so he just, instead of bringing it back to Jerusalem, he just changed his mind and said, here, take that up to Obed-Edom's house. And so Obed-Edom had the Ark of the Covenant in his house for several months. I don't know what he did during those months. But do you think that that would have had the potential to change the way he lived at home? To know that the Ark of the Covenant is in your living room. You know, and... and, Or do do you think they were extra careful? Do you think that they were careful about what they said and what they thought and what they did? What if the dwelling place... You know, maybe... What if the dwelling place of God could be put in your living room this week? The Ark of the Covenant. We, we find it in a warehouse in D.C. somewhere, and, and we take it out and put the sticks in it, and we bring it and set it in your living room. Would it change the programs you watched? Would it change your browsing history on your computers? Would you watch all the videos that you watch? Would you find humor in some of the things that you find humor in? If Jesus were with you, would we laugh at the same things that we laugh at now? I think we might be embarrassed sometimes. That's the presence test. In Philippians 1 verse 20, the Apostle Paul said, listen, I do not want to be put to shame or to be ashamed in anything i want to live my life to the glory of jesus we need to be able to say that and if i'm doing something that i know i know good and well that i would not do that if jesus were here i would never go to that movie if jesus was sitting next to me i would not listen to that song i would not sing those lyrics if jesus were listening with me. he'd be embarrassed He'd be like, are you kidding me? You're going to sing that? You're a Christian? I wouldn't watch those television shows. I wouldn't talk to my wife or my children or my parents this way. I I wouldn't deal this way at work. I'd be more honest and have more integrity about me in the workplace. The, The list goes on. The presence test. If Jesus were with you and traveled and and went to work with you and lived with you for a period of time, would there be anything that you'd be ashamed of? Paul said, we need to live our lives so that we're not ashamed. We need to do everything that we do to the glory of God. Colossians 3 and verse 17 goes through that same thought about bringing glory to God. And then look at this, and, and this is the fourth and final point tonight. And it's the peace test, if you want to call it that. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 23, there's a principle that is expounded upon there where he says, uh, let me just go ahead and read the verse. He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat of faith or from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Um... What that means, he's talking about things in in context. He's talking about things that are matters of opinion. There's right and wrong on it, but they're not heaven or hell issues. Is it right to eat meats? Yes. The answer to that is yes, but did everybody understand that? No. And so if I was in that camp of people that thought, you know what, I don't think you ought to eat meats offered idols. I could be wrong in that, but boy, the, the true answer is right, but what what if I thought it was wrong, and I went ahead and did it because everybody else was doing it, and, and when I put that mouthful in my mouth i 'm thinking, oh, this is wrong, then it is wrong you 've sinned because you can't do it in good faith. And that's what he's talking about in this passage. If you doubt, if you have doubt you know should we go to this movie i don't know i, I don't know should Should you listen to this guy? Should you buy this? Should you go there um, I, I'm not sure. Should you go to that party well, well you know and and we rationalize and make excuses but if if there's something that bothers your conscience even if the thing is right in and of itself but if it bothers your conscience it, it's wrong you shouldn't do it listen our consciences need to be guarded you know if if you harden your conscience if you harden that sense of guilt when you do wrong, that sense of right and wrong, when you ignore that, you you sear it. You callous it. And if you callous your conscience, what's ever going to change your mind about sin? You know, it's sorrow over grieving God and sorrow over sin that causes you to change. You know, I, man, I'm sorry for that. I, I want to do better. But if you get to the point where you don't feel anymore because you've hardened your conscience, calloused your conscience, what can turn you around? And we, we need to be careful not to harden our conscience. And that's what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 3, uh, verses uh, 12 through 13, where he talks about, We need to repent while it's today, less through a process of hardening we we won't want to tomorrow. So these are just some broad principles that can help us to know whether we should do something or not. If the Bible comes right out and says you can do it, guess what? You can do it. And if it comes right out and says do not do that, then don't do it. That's a simple one. And then we need to look at principles. Okay, well, what I'm asking about, the Bible doesn't explicitly address, but does it address things like it? Are there principles, broader principles that it speaks to? We need to look at what the Bible says in terms of principle. And then we need to really honestly say, would I be comfortable with Jesus with me? Would I do this if Jesus were here beside me? Would I have the nerve to ask him to get involved with me in this activity if he were here? And if you can't do that, you shouldn't be doing it. And then finally, if you can't do it in all good conscience, if you know hey, this, this doesn't feel right, then it's not right for you even if it could be done. It's not right for you. So these principles are here for us, and hopefully they can help us as we go out into the world and face a host of questions. Should we do this? Should we not do this? Maybe these will help us to to find the answers. But here's what I want us to, to really focus on. Let's decide who owns our lives and allow them to have ownership. Let's quit trying to walk with one foot in the world and one foot belonging to Jesus and and doing the Jesus thing most of the time, but sometimes we do the world thing. Um, Decide who gets ownership of your life. If it's the world, give it to the world. But if it's Jesus, give it to Jesus. We can't walk with Jesus and the world at the same time. And I heard somebody once say, you know, people, here's the problem a lot of christians are miserable for this reason that they have too much jesus to enjoy the world and too much of the world to enjoy jesus think about that 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 sums up a lot of folks i can't even enjoy sin because i got this nagging conscience telling me whenever i do something wrong i know it's wrong and it's nagging at me and so i can't even give myself wholeheartedly into sin because i have too much jesus in my life and then sometimes I have too much world in my life to enjoy what Jesus has to offer. I know I'm not living for him. And, and, and what should be a joyous life in Christ isn't because I know I'm being a hypocrite. Decide who you're going to give yourself to. Decide who your owner is going to be. And get that thing settled and then live in harmony with that ownership. Maybe someone here tonight needs to decide who owns them. Are you going to let the world own you? Or are you going to let Jesus own you? And maybe now is the time when you need to say, I want to give my life to Jesus, give Him ownership of my life, and live for Him. And worry about the things, or decide to allow Him, instead of just doing my own thing, I'm going to look up and see what God says about it before I do it. If you want to do that tonight, we'll assist you in being baptized into Christ. If you're a child of God already, but unfaithful, There are things in your life you know there shouldn't be. You know you're not doing things that the Lord would be happy with. Ask Him to forgive you. And give Him full ownership of your life. And try to live a consistent walk with that. If you need to respond, we'll invite you to come as we stand together and sing.